Welcome to the Narrators Podcast. I'm Robert Rutherford. And I'm Andrew Orvidal. This podcast collects stories that were told at the Narrators, a monthly storytelling event that features people telling true stories based on a theme. The show takes place on the third Wednesday of every month at the Buntport Theater in Denver, Colorado. These stories were recorded live on July 18th, 2014, as part of a special collaboration with Pivot TV and Rooftop Comedy. The theme of the evening was Taking a Stand. I wish I hadn't said Robert is the best, because I think of your next storyteller as the best dude I know. So it's a tie uh, between these two guys. Um, this guy is also a founding member of the Bump Part of Theater, where we're all um, sitting, and he also created... Uh, a nonprofit called Warm Cookies of the Revolution, which is a civic health club. Uh, and if you don't know what that is, you should check it out because um, it's great. They have all these cool community um, activities like Sunday school for atheists and um, <laughs> neat things like that, like a board game night. And uh, there's a show that I do with him called Bring Your Government where people get to like propose their own ideal governments instead of complaining about the one that we have right now. Um, but he's, he is the best guy. Please welcome Evan Weissman. Dan Berrigan was a, uh, was a kind of a, a big guy in the Vietnam War era. Jesuit priest, creative, revolutionary poet guy. And he, uh, he was asked to speak at a commencement at a school. And he stood up. And he said, uh, know where you stand and stand there. And then he sat down. That takes a lot of chutzpah, I think. Uh, I'm sure they were very pissed at him that that's all he did. But, um, but I like that. I like that a lot. Um, know where you stand and stand there. And uh, that's, it's meant a lot to me, um, both before I knew that he said that from other people saying maybe similar things. And then once I, I heard that, it, it resonated with me. So I'm going to admit to you right now somewhere where I, uh, I know where I stand and I haven't stood there. Um, and it's a, it's a strange one for me. But uh, I was born in Washington, D.C. And all of my life, up until this very moment, I have supported uh, in my heart the Washington Redskins football team. I hate the name Redskins. I, uh, what my, one of my three best friends growing up, we, you know, you have a crew of folks. Uh, he's Muskogee Creek um, and uh, does not like the name. Um, I've never given them a cent. Uh, I denounce them all the time. However, I watch football and I love watching football and I root inside of my heart for the Redskins and I want them to win. And I don't know why. I don't. I do not know why. And, uh, but I have some hunches, and maybe the rest of these stories will get to it. Maybe not. Anyways, hopefully we have a safe space right now where I just admitted that to you. Um, there were four things that happened, four events in, in a couple-year period in my formative years, uh, like junior high-ish. Um, the first one was uh, there were riots. <clears throat> Excuse me. Puberty comes late. For some people. Uh, my growth spurt's going to happen soon. Um, there were riots uh, in, in Washington, D.C., um, and I was in, I think I was in sixth or seventh grade, um, and it, it really affected me um, because, I, I guess I should start by saying, um, I grew up uh, with 
parents who were Jews from the South, um, Southern Virginia and Florida, and uh, for a variety of reasons I won't get into here, I grew up in a Zionist household, and, um, and also with parents who were from the Jim Crow South and were definitely not black, but were not quite fully white where they were, just a little bit in this weird gray zone. And that's what I'm talking to you about here tonight is this gray zone. Um, so, uh, and, then, and then we were in Washington, D.C. and in Virginia in um, these sort of oddly diverse areas. Um, and uh, so I had friends and was exposed to people who were the, the wealthiest in Washington, D.C. to the poorest, um, folks from all over the world, um, and I, I went to Sunday school and Hebrew school with other Jews, but in my regular life, uh, I had more uh, Muslim friends than I did Jewish friends. So that, that's a little bit of context there. Um, but back to the riots. Uh, there were riots for a couple of days, and uh, basically a, a Salvadoran man was shot by a police officer, um, a woman, a black woman. And uh, the Salvadoran and a lot of the immigrant community um, was marginalized in Washington, D.C., which was seen as largely um, black-run at the time. And uh, there were these, these riots, and that messed with me. It was just a strange uh, understanding. And that was a way where I saw some people knowing what they stood for and, and standing in some regard. Um, the second one is uh, my synagogue was desecrated. I was coming to Hebrew school. I was studying for my bar mitzvah. It was a, it was uh, boring, but uh, but got dropped off there, and in red and black paint everywhere on the outside of this building was swastikas and kike and and every horrible thing that 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 you could imagine, and it scared me to my core. Um, the uh, the third thing is uh, my the first friend of mine that w- that was a girl, not a girlfriend, a friend who was a girl, like in a true way. And it's weird because it was in seventh grade. And if you just said the word girl to me in seventh grade, I would have been like, oh, you know, your <laughs> hormones are just crazy. But Mehe was uh, she was she was um, my my first friend in in that capacity, and um, we just had a wonderful re- relationship. And it changed pretty significantly one day in class when we happened to be talking about Israel and Palestine. And I, because I was a little bit louder, a little bit, um, I don't know, sure of myself for not good reasons, I, I sort of pummeled her. And I remember going up to the map and pointing and saying, where's Palestine? Point to me. And I knew she was Palestinian. I hung out with her parents, and her parents were from Palestine. And my family had a lot of family in Israel who was there from you know, the turn of the century. Where is it? Can you point to me? Just being a, a, an ass. And... Uh, I reflected on it later to know that I was, uh, I was speaking out of received wisdom. This is nothing that I knew about. Was, I knew it from my family. I knew what the truth was, or so I thought. Um, and then the, the fourth is um, I went with my family. This is all kind of in the same couple-year period to the Holocaust Museum opening. And uh, this was very big for, for my parents and for kind of everyone involved there. And it was a surreal scene because it's on the mall in Washington, D.C., if you've been there. And um, we're sitting there, and it was raining, 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 raining. And there were all these old people who were survivors of the Holocaust. And, um, so, and they're talking. And uh, it's, it's raining, and then all of a sudden you hear, <laughs> just coming out. Well, coming down the street, or down the mall, were KKK members and uh, neo-Nazis and um, like a group of uh, Holocaust deniers. And they came and they were, you know, there's like a fenced off area. This was like a big thing. Um, and so it was fenced off area, but they were screaming, uh, 
Sig Hail, Sig Hail. And it, again, this scared me. This was, it was brought into, you know, it was into my um, bones when I was little. Like, these people hate you. Um, so it was very scary. And when we left, actually, and went to the metro, there were police that were lined up. And I remember, and they were screaming at us. And I remember seeing one person spit, not at me, but spit at, in our direction. And I thought that was the most base thing I could, I could imagine. Uh, but off to the side, I didn't see all of what they had, but there was a, just a few Native Americans that were standing like kind of much further away, and they had some signs, and I don't know what they said, but I found out later they were protesting that um, the Holocaust Museum got this win. Um, they, at the time, they thought it was the last spot on the mall, and, uh, and Native Americans wanted a museum there. Um, and uh, that made me think about knowing where you stand and standing there. These were different ways of doing it. Um, but it, it had an effect on me. So as I've uh, grown into hopeful uh, puberty here, um, I, I thought about the ideas of risk um, when you're taking a stand. Who, who, how much risk is there? And then uh, also included that as necessity and privilege. Um, and so I, I learned about and thought about a lot of different people and the risks that they take, and then in my own life. So, and one person is um, Corbett Bishop, who, um, it's kind of not that well-known story, but uh, Corbett was a World War II uh, resistor, a war resistor, conscientious objector. And they sentenced him to prison, because that's what happened if he didn't want to do that, or, or do some kind of social service. So they gave him a couple years in prison, and um, he said, well, you can have my body, but you can't have my soul. And he laid down in the courtroom and made them carry him to prison. And in prison, he refused to do anything. They force-fed him with a tube. He peed and pooped all over himself, and they had to change him. And finally, the warden said to the judge, said, you got to let this guy out. It's taking five of my people all the time to change him, to do all this stuff. And so they did. They, they ended up, um, they let him out, and they went, they told Corbin, all right, you know, you're out of here. And he said, okay. Carried me in here and carried me out. <laughs> Laid back down, carried him up, took him outside, closed the gate, and he walked up and, and left. And um, there was a lot of risk that he took, um, but it wasn't necessary. He didn't have to. This was in his own soul. It was necessary. But uh, I think about, I'd only heard about this, but uh, here in Denver in 1978, um, folks from the Atlantis community who blocked on, on Colfax and Lincoln for two nights and one day, folks in wheelchairs blocked traffic and put themselves out of the wheelchairs onto the ground, um, stopping traffic because they, they wanted lifts on municipal buses. Um, this was a lot. This was a big risk, but it was a lot more necessary. This was a. This is how you get around, um, and and that type of movement is what helped the Americans with Disabilities Act happen twelve years later. And then the the I think of people today like Jeanette Vizguera here, who. Is, has been fighting her own deportation outwardly, um, who has a husband and children who are, immig- who are uh, citizens. And the risk associated with her doing what she's doing is so incredibly high. It's something I can't even imagine. And, but the idea of choosing to do this uh, probably didn't even enter her mind in some ways. It just, this is what she has to do. So anyways, these are different ways of knowing where you stand and standing there. So... The first time that I ever committed civil disobedience um, was so scary. And uh, what I was doing was I was saying, um, 
you can't get my dollar twelve or whatever the number was. It was on the federal excise tax on long distance phone calls, if you remember what that is. So this was, I think, in 1998 or 99. And... Uh, the federal excise tax, the money went to the general fund. About 50% of that goes to, to giving children or kids uh, guns to go kill other kids. And I said, no, I don't want to do that. I'm not playing. So I'm sitting there writing my note to the, to the company. And you know, you don't get this. You don't get my dollar $1.12. Um, and I, I, I licked the envelope and put the stamp on and put it in. And I was sure right then that a SWAT team was on their way and they were going to come and they were going to kill me take me off to jail. Probably not. They're just going to kill me. It was so scary for me. Um, but then as you do it more, I did it every month and it was this wonderful check-in, um, to my heart, to knowing where I stood and was I standing there? And it was like, yeah, I'm not into this. And so I did it every month and I wrote this thing and, um, it eventually, the excise tax went away kind of, um, based on me. Um, (laughs) no, not at all. But, um, uh, that being able to uh, to check into that was just was very important to me, um, and it becomes less scary the more you speak out on on any issue. Um, so for me, on issues on on Israel's aggression, on the United States military aggression, on um, our immigration policy, on militarism in general, um, on all these different things, uh, it becomes less scary in some regards. But you know that you're moving towards the right direction. So the last thing I'll just leave you with here is. Um, uh, another one of these peace guys from that time, Amon Hennessy is his name. He has this quote, which I won't, I'll butcher it, but it's basically, he says that, that if you want to change the world, you have to have a combination of courage, wisdom, and love. If you just, and they have to be all three. If you have one, if you just have courage, you're like a foot soldier. Yeah, you can go and run that way. Go ahead. If you uh, um, just have love, well, it's like a, a common churchgoer. And if you just have wisdom, it's like a common academic. You have to have all three. And... Um, I, I think about that when I think about the Redskins. Where, why the hell is that so hard for me? What am I missing? I think it's the courage piece. Um, but I guess it, it, the idea of keeping wrestling, to keep wrestling with these ideas, that all of us have these things. You have a thing like I have of rooting for the Washington Redskins, even though you hate everything about that. There's something that all of us have. And if we can have a little bit of courage, more courage, more wisdom, and more love, and keep wrestling with this and support each other on it, um, I think that's how we change the world. So know where you stand. Stand there. Thank you very much. Evan Weissman. Uh, your next storyteller is one of my favorite comedians. Um, and the entire time I've been doing comedy in Denver, she's like, one of the, uh, the Denver legends of comedy. She was a member of uh, Vox Feminista. Please welcome a favorite of our show, Nancy Norton. You're, you're a very generous and kind group, especially the commitment here on the floor. Those of you who are meditating during the show, putting out your ohms for this to be for the highest good. I know that's, that's what I'm thinking. This should be for the highest good. Do you feel it? You feel it? I, okay. I realize, uh, yeah, I was with Vox Feminista, who used to be Vox Femina, which sounds a little too nice, doesn't it? Vox Femina. 
But then there was a choral group named Vox Femina, and the website got all fucked up. So we had to become Vox Feminista, even though there was not one Hispanic person. But still, it sounded powerful, and we embodied that. And they let me in the group, which is kind of weird because I'm not much of a feminist. I'm a, you know, wannabe kind of hippie. I'm a hippie crit, is what I am. And uh, I have a lot of duality in my life. I mean, look, look what I'm wearing. This is, what is this? I, I, I wasn't sure how to dress. You know, I didn't know. It a, it's a theater. I haven't been in there. Do you dress up or down? So I thought I would do a little up and a little down just to cover my bases, you know. So I, got, I hope I got, I've got that covered. So yeah, they let me. This is, I don't know if you know Vox Feminista, but it's the, it's the you know, the, mm, the feminists with, you know, the women with a Y. All right? We're not even going to have a fucking E, M-E-N, in the fucking women. We're not part of men. We're women. <laughs> and these were some, di- I mean, these are people who live off the grid, and, uh, which I actually found out really means you live off of other people. <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar. I don't mean to... They would scream at me, your cell phone is killing the bees! And I'm like, can I borrow your cell phone? Can I do a little laundry at your house? Can I shower? Can I borrow a towel? Can I shit in your toilet? Yes, you may. You live off the grid. Very courageous. <laughs> I was glad to support them. And no, these are people that live and breathe feminism, you know, activism. They have bumper stickers. This one woman had bumper stickers in her kitchen. <laughs> Seriously, in her kitchen. I'm like, I don't want to say her name. Let's call her Walnut, okay? <laughs> this is another tree name. Powerful, but walnut seems to fit for me. I am a little, okay, I'm a little bitter, but I, okay, here's the thing. Like, aren't you ever just chopping onions? You know, is it really you have to look at a sign that says, he is not my president? You know, can't you just ever have a relaxing moment where it's like, I'm making dinner? I don't know. So, trying to find balance, I think, is important. I was the clown in Vox Feminista. Literally, <laughs> I was Lesbo the Clown. <laughs> I didn't have any clown skills, nor lesbian skills. <laughs> Several ex-girlfriends will testify. I have two moves, but the people that like those two moves think I'm really hot. So I'm just saying... <laughs> I got a little of this, a little of that, not much of this. You know what I'm saying? It's a, it's a lot of lower back. It's, it's a workout, pleasing a woman. I don't know if you've tried it. Lesbo the clown. Gee, hi, girls and boys and girls. That's me, Lesbo. Everybody say hi, Lesbo. Hi, Gee, hi, girls and boys and girls. I used to go, yeah, boys and girls and girls, girls and girls. I didn't mention the girls three times. I used to go to circuses and pro- I could make one balloon animal, the wiener dog. That was my power animal. And I would go to circuses. I would protest the circus thinking I'm doing something. And, you know, I thought I was, I was ready. But then you're at the circus and you're a little clown. And I was kind of a nice clown. So I was getting to the circus and then there'd be these sweet little kids with these big eyes 
standing in line holding her parents' hands and, you know, it's, I couldn't, hurt, you know, just, gee, we just want the elephants to go home and be with their families. <laughs> I sucked. Almost got arrested, literally, this cop came up to me kicked me off and I kind of you know of course didn't listen I went back on the property and then he he kind of cornered me by my car and got my driver's license and he told me if I so much as here there's a clown on the property at the circus I'm gonna issue a warrant for your arrest so I got arrested because there's a lot of clowns Not for that. That was a lie. Not for that. I was arrested for throwing a guitar. It's a long story. Um, <laughs> that's my next talk. Lesbian domestic violence. It does happen. Skinny perimenopausal women in a cat fight. It's not pretty. And it is painful. And I want to say this about the women with a Y who are so globally active and look what's going on in Iraq. You know, we all shaved our heads when we bombed Iraq. Remember the shock and awe? Shock and awe. <laughs> like, man, this, this isn't right. What are we gonna do about it? I know, let's shave our heads on stage. That'll show them. So we did that. I literally had hair down to here and for some reason I thought this was gonna make a difference. We actually had the acronym t-shirts we sold along with the show. Shave. Sisters howling against violence everywhere. <laughs> it's not effective, but I actually turned out to like shorter hair, so that was nice. <laughs> So, my real message to the people, <laughs> it's so exciting to have a podium, it's like, I sh I, you know, you have a message or something up here. I did make notes, because here's the thing, okay, so, oh, the women with a Y. Really, I was involved in domestic violence, and I felt, I mean, it's really complicated victim-perpetrator thing, but I did feel victimized in this situation. I did ask for support from the women with a Y, and really, I, the response I got was, fuck you, we're not going to choose sides, she has better pot. So... <laughs> So that I haven't been with those guys for a while. But anyway, guys, wouldn't they hate that if I called them guys? Uh, that was passive aggressive. And now I like cock, so fuck you. All right, so anyway. Ah, oh, there's just, you know, it hits the right spots. I don't know what it is. But anyway, not that you can't buy a cock, and not that you, you know, you, I'm just saying. You can buy your own. then that's controversial on the women's land if you've been to you know the women's land have you been to the women's land oh if you take your dildo to the women's land it's very controversial are you trying to be part of the patriarchy with that penile imitation is that representational or non-representational some of you know what I'm talking about three of you have been to the women's land so here, okay, now I cut to, okay, it's 10 years later. I have a 10-year-old. I, I adopted a child. They did not know me, uh, the people who gave them to me. But I, <laughs> I, have this, I have this wonderful child, and I'm no longer willing, I realize, to get arrested. I haven't been, Lesbo the Clown hasn't been. We did do prairie dogs, though. My son and I did prairie dogs. <laughs> Seriously, Andrew. I was out there in Firestone last winter and I literally made a banner out of prayer flags and made a big sign that said prayers for prairie dogs. <laughs> yes, and I've, I've felt good about it. 
And yes, people did fly by and flip us off and say, get a life. And I thought, fuck you, this is a life, you know? Yeah, it's a good life. It's a keystone animal of the prairie. So, now my activism is reduced to change.org. Okay. Do you guys do change.org? You should, you just, I, you know what? That, what is it? Did I hear a hiss? Sometimes the lesbian community will hiss at you. It makes you so nervous. You do shows for the lesbians. Literally, if they, if they hear you say something that just might imply some disempowered thing, is something wrong with change.org that I don't know? Is it bad? Huh? I like it, because you get, you know, actually you can do something, yeah, in your pajamas. <laughs> Sign a petition and then hear back that you made a difference. It's kind of nice, I think, for those of us who aren't willing to get arrested. But I was just looking, I thought to prepare for this, like, what am I taking a stand about? I don't know, I've lost my, my lesbian standing. Now I'm a B, I'm a bi, I'm in the GLBT, I'm in the B now. Who fucking cares about the bees? Nobody gives a shit about the bees. The bees are like the numb, you know, like the bee and the word numb. They're just kind of silent, you know, just numb and dumb, you bees. I'm going to put the brilliant back in the bee, that's what I'm saying. It's valid. It's a valid lifestyle. None of you would fuck me right now. I can feel that, right? Not one of you, not one of you, maybe one, maybe one. Okay. Not that that's what it's all about, but it kind of is. Let's, let's, who are we kidding? It's all about who's going to fuck us, isn't it? All right. Who would fuck me? And at what point am I so unfuckable? You know what I mean? When you get to be old, get to be old with your spider veins and like, I want a piece of that. Okay, so here's my email. I just want to say, because I do go to change.org and you sign these petitions, but then you get on the list of all these other... So my email gets flooded with activism things. And I, you know, you, you click on some and you don't click on others. Do you guys do that? And what do you click on? So I was just going to read off the last, like, two or three days. I thought, well, I'll just write them down and see what people... What, what, would, you clip on, what would you click on? Did I say clit? I didn't mean to. <laughs> Is this dirty? We're supposed to be clean. I don't know. It was on television. Oh, we got to have closure. We got to have closure. Oh, God. Time flies when you're having fun. Okay. I'll just do a few of them then. Uh, Killing whales in the name of science. Not going to click on it? Save the bees. Oh, there we go. All right. Become a citizen co-sponsor to reverse Hobby Lobby. Do you give a shit about Hobby Lobby? Got to make our crafts. Andrew Orverdahl tagged you on Facebook. Oh. That was. <laughs> what would you do to help puppies? That's literally the headline. I'm not making these up. What would you do to help puppies? Wolves need you. One was just called folate. What, what the hell is that? Folate. My friend Gary thought it was exfoliate. I don't know. Save the bees again, and we'll double your gift. Now are you interested? Now are you going to save the bees? Double your gift. It's probably a cell phone. And <laughs> jungle encounter leads to beauty breakthrough. I wonder what the hell that is. The child next door is hungry. There is no child next door, so that is bad. That is very bad. 
Oh, this one I thought, yeah, I just, can I just, oh, really quickly. I can be, I can be Christian gay and live in Alabama. <laughs> yeah, yes, you can. And why would you? That is the question. Li- and I know I'm talking kind of smutty, but every, you know what? They outlawed dildos in Alabama, which is, I mean, what a waste of time because... They did. I don't know how it's written on the actual books. Like, I'm sure they didn't use the word dill. I don't know what the wording is of this bill, but I was told by a... Do you know? I heard something. Penile imitation. Penile imitation. That's right. You may not purchase a penile imitation in a here down in Alabama. We're not going to have us here down in here and a kind of phony baloney. Uh, some sort of thrust and penetration device is highly inappropriate, I would say. When in reality... <laughs> okay, this is all my point is, that why would you outlaw? Because those girls down there can whittle. Am I right? Um, I know, it's highbrow. I, I, uh, thank you for your time, and thank you for taking a stand... That's Nancy Norton. The Narrator's Podcast is recorded and produced by Ron Doyle. The Narrator's Podcast is brought to you by these amazing sponsors. The great guys at Illegal Pete's and Greater Than Records, who in addition to providing rad burritos all over town, provide great local music and comedy. Check out the appropriately named Sexy Pizza at either of their locations in Capitol Hill or Old South Pearl, or on their website, sexypizzaonline.com. And finally, by the internet superheroes at Commerce Kitchen, who provide internet marketing solutions and search engine optimization for all your e-commerce needs. Check them out at commercekitchen.com. For more information about the narrators and to listen to past episodes, go to the narratorspodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Yeah. <laughs>